I don't know if, yeah, that's good. You can, that's, that's good stuff right there. Um, I, I don't know if any of you are like me. There's some of you that just might be a little bit more confident in situations that you're unfamiliar with. I don't know if you're like me, but I, 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 I don't have the personality where I can just walk into an unfamiliar situation and just have this confidence. I'm usually, if I walk in a room where I don't know anybody, I kind of ease into it, right? Some of you are just, you walk in, hey, my name is so-and-so, how are y'all doing? I'm the life of the party, right? Some of you are the life of the party, and some of you are like, man, I, I just don't want to stand out. I'm very shy. There's a, a lot of um, insecurity, maybe, and, and so that, that's kind of where I'm at. My, it's funny, our, our oldest son, Colby, he, he's 21, but he, he went through a lot of these situations in his life where we had to put him in unfamiliar situations, and he had, like, no problem with it. Like, you know, I remember just, just going to kindergarten the first day. Like, he couldn't wait to get on the bus and just leave. And it's like, you know, Kathleen's like, can you be a little sad? Or a little? He goes, I'm ready. Gets on the bus, and, of course, my wife follows the bus in the car to make sure he gets there. And then in second grade, we had to move him schools, brand new class, new teacher at the beginning of the school year. He was fine with it. He just, okay, sophomore year of high school, he went to a new high school, uh, didn't know anybody in his class, and then he never played football a day in his life and, and goes out for the football team. And then when he goes to college, goes to a college, didn't know anybody there, plays on the college football team. We had to drop him off a couple weeks early. We're leaving his dorm. He doesn't know a soul. And we're like, are you going to be okay? Fine, Mom. He's just good. And then he says, you know, Mom and Dad, I just... After a year there, he goes, you know, I just feel like I, I want to do ROTC Navy. And I'm like, what? Like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm just kind of really, and they don't have it here at the school, so I want to transfer. And I'm thinking about going to the University of Rochester, and I'm like, okay. And he did it all. And then he switched. He's doing ROTC Navy now, and he's going. I'm just like, it's so different from me just going to these new situations. Some of you may be like that. And, and as we've been studying um, the book of Galatians, we've been, we've been looking at, at how Paul is reiterating the fact to his listeners of how important our relationship with Christ is. And what is happening within the churches, there's these false teachers that are coming in that are kind of restricting these Christians, these new believers, and adding things onto their walk with the Lord to tell them, you have to follow these certain dietary laws. You have to follow these certain festivals. If you're going to be complete in Christ, you've got to do these things. And what they were doing is they were actually making these believers in Christ feel insecure about their salvation in Christ. They were making them feel like they're not actually doing enough. And I would dare to say that the majority of followers of Jesus Christ are very insecure in their walk. Here's how I know. After pastoring 28 years, I see a lot of people, a lot of Christians. And one of the things that I see a common thread with most Christians is that they're insecure in their walk with Christ. They're insecure in their identity in Christ. And here's the reason why. What we can tend to do is, in our insecurity, try to, try to boast about the things that we're good in, right? And so what we can tend to do with one another is say, hey, look at the things that I don't do, right? Look at how much Bible knowledge I may know. And we try to spout this off to people. But what I really notice with people that are like that, they're actually very insecure in their walk with the Lord. Because many times in our insecurity, when, we, when we're insecure, we have to let people know who we are. Like, I'm important. And I know these things. And we can easily do that. And all that really is, is insecurity. 
And what I want to talk about today is how can we overcome our insecurity and really know who we are in God so that we can live out our walk in Christ in that freedom and in that joy, knowing that I'm a child of God. I may not do things perfectly. I may make a lot of mistakes, but I know that I know that I know that I'm a child of God and I don't have to prove anything to anyone else. I don't have to puff my chest out. I don't have to try to uh, put this facade on to try to make people think something about me that's really not true. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could get to the point of our walk with the Lord where we could just be real and honest with people? That, that, That everything isn't really perfect in my life, that we all have struggles, that we go through difficult things, And that we would be vulnerable enough towards one another that we could show our weaknesses. Because in our weaknesses, who is strong? Christ is strong in us in our weakness. And we we kind of forget that, don't we? Because we have this fear of actually being judged by others. We have this fear, and I don't know why we get this way. It just that's one of the things, it's one of my pet peeves as a pastor, is 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 people not knowing who they are in Jesus. And not resting in the fact that when you come to Christ and you put your faith in him and he's forgiven you of your sin, you are now a child of God. And that's what we're going to look at today. I want you to know, every single person who comes to Christ, their identity changes. From one of me and pleasing myself to one that's actually called a son of God. And, and I'm, I really believe we don't understand what it means to be a child of God. And so I want to look at that today. And maybe the reason why it's hard for you to grasp this being a child of God because you had a very dysfunctional upbringing. Maybe you had a very dysfunctional family and uh, maybe there wasn't a lot of love and acceptance. Maybe it was performance-based. All of us have this baggage and it can easily just slip into our relationship with God and not understanding who we are as God's children. So here's what Paul does. Paul, we've been going through chapter by chapter in the book of Galatians. But here's what Paul does. Paul reiterates to his listeners, listen, don't listen to these false teachers. Don't don't let them drag you back into feeling insecure about your walk with Christ. Because that's all they're doing. They're causing you to feel insecure by the things that you're not doing. But let me tell you, it's only by faith that you can please God. And you can find the righteousness of Christ by putting yourself in him. And so what Paul then does is he shows them this is your identity. Your identity is not what you do. Your identity in Christ is not because you celebrate this certain festival. Your identity in Christ is not that you carry a King James only Bible. Can I hear an amen? And we can, listen, it's okay. I love King James. Don't get, okay, everybody, whoa, stop pastor, okay? But listen, that's the way we get. The way you dress, the way you look, what kind of version of the Bible you read. And then what we do is we look at other people and say, you're not like us. We are a little bit better than you. And what that does is it causes people to feel insecure in their walk with the Lord. I want you to be secure as a child of God, not by the things that you do, but by who you are in Christ. And this is what Paul lays out for us. So I want to look at of Galatians chapter 4. We're just going to look at a couple verses here of what Paul um, is, is trying to relay to his listeners. And so here's what Paul is at odds with, is that they're trying to tell others you're not doing enough. 
And, and, and there, there's nothing worse than trying to gain someone's approval based on your performance. So Paul is telling his listeners, listeners, your approval from God doesn't come from your goodness or how well you score on the goodness chart. That's not where it comes. In, in Christ, Paul's going to say here, we are accepted as children. And Paul will use this illustration of adoption and the power behind adoption. And, and I hope this brings a whole new meaning for all of us here today. So let's look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn. They go up to the screens. Bibles in the back of the chairs there. Your phone. I don't care what you use. So let's look at the Word of God together. So here's what Paul says. He says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, which you were under the law, Paul is saying here, but now you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is good. Everybody say amen to God's word because this gets good. So what I want to look at today is I want to look at our relationship that we have with God through his son, Jesus. Jesus makes everything possible for you and I to become co-heirs with him. And all the benefits that were given to his son, Jesus, are now given to us as his adopted children. So what Paul explains is, is, is what, what a right relationship with God looks like, a healthy one that is growing. This type of relationship will take away all this insecurity and fear that we have, this posturing that we might have, this I'm better than you or I have to do this and look at all the things I do and I don't do. This will take away all that stuff. And so in order to have this healthy relationship with God, we need to know the foundation of our relationship. And so Paul's saying the foundation of your relationship with God is not based on your works. Why would you go back to that? That's only putting you into bondage. The basis of your relationship with God is based on everything that Christ has already done for you. Why would you go back to this performance thing to try to gain God's approval? Don't do it. And listen, we all fall into that trap of trying to gain God's love by what we do. And, and I see this common thread of insecurity in a lot of couples, a lot of married couples. And I can see this in talking with a lot of married couples. It can either come from control. It can come from not knowing what the other person is doing. I don't know what they do all day. What do they do? Where do they go? They never, they never talk to me. This brings insecurity within a relationship. It can come from making the other person feel subordinate, constantly belittling the other person. You don't do this right, or you don't do things like this, which all leads to insecurity and not a good foundation for a healthy marriage. And so Paul's saying, that's not how God deals with us. He's not up there saying, you don't do this right, you don't. How many know we don't do a lot of things right? There's some things we do right. But can you imagine if God just pointed out all the things? we? I mean, we'd be sitting here all day, wouldn't we? And so if that's the case, it would bring this insecurity. So I got to start 
performing for God and trying to do all these good things for God to try to gain his approval. And God's saying, that's not how my relationship with you works. Which all leads to insecurity. So God doesn't treat us like this. He actually treats us as his children. So how does the knowledge that we are God's children take away our feelings of insecurity? So what I want to do is I want to look at just three things this morning of of how our knowledge of knowing that we are God's children. So what what Paul's going to do here in, in these short verses is he lays a foundation of what it truly means to be a child of God and, and how knowing who we are will make us feel secure in our relationship with the Lord and take away these feelings of insecurity. So Paul explains three things for us. Let's look at the first thing Paul explains in these verses. He says, first, through Christ, we are redeemed. So what he's saying is, under the law, we were stuck. We talked about last week. The law could only, the law was good in this point that it could point to our sin. It pointed to our shortcomings. It showed us what we did wrong and how far we've fallen away from God. But the law could never save us. We could never keep the law, all 1,613 laws, we could never keep perfectly. You break one, you break them all. You could never keep it. So Paul says, why are you going back to the law? The law can't save you. It's only going to point more to your guilt and your shortcoming of not coming even nearly close to a holy God. And so... The law pointed to something greater that we need, and that was Jesus Christ, who fulfilled all the law for us. So it's our faith in Christ that we are now righteous before God, even though we still sin. Our standing before God changes. Our position before God changes now because we position ourselves in Christ, who is righteous and accomplished everything for us. Listen, can I just be honest with you this morning? It's all about Jesus. That's it. It's all about him. You, you, you can't get around Jesus. It's all about him and what he did for us. So he says, we are redeemed. So under the law, we were stuck. We couldn't fill its demands. We couldn't keep it perfectly. And actually, Paul says, you're actually a slave to it. There's no way you could break it. There's no way you could break its chains. And everybody tries different ways to try to be good in their lives, right? But we'll always fall short. It's a pit that can never be filled because we can never keep God's law perfectly. We are in debt. We become debtors. We, we always have this law hanging over our heads and, and we, in our own strength, we could never come out from underneath it. It, it. It's like this. Have you ever had someone hold something over your head where they kept reminding you of something you did wrong? And you think that that thing got buried. And then all of a sudden you get in a fight and, and that person's got that, that bullet in that holster ready to pull out. Remember when you, oh, you're going to bring that up again. It got really quiet in here, by the way, <laughs> right? We, we, we like to do that, don't we? We like to hold things over people's head because we, we, we say we forgive people. And then, and then you can bring that back and say, well, I thought you forgave me of that. I guess you really didn't forgive me of that because you keep bringing that thing up. You see, we want to keep people under control. We want to keep, we want people to say, I want you to hurt because you hurt me. So I want you to keep hurting. So I'm going to keep reminding you of this hurt. Is that the way God deals with us? Whew. Thank God he doesn't. Because we would have no hope Whatsoever, And see, what the law does, the law keeps reminding us that we're actually underneath it. And with that comes guilt. 
And Jesus, because he was perfect, what Paul says here, he redeems us from actually the penalty in the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us and hanging on the cross for us. And so what this word redeem actually means, it means to release a slave from the bond of its owner by paying the slave's full price. So what Jesus did for us, he paid the full price for our redemption by giving his life on the cross for you and I. Everybody say amen. That's what Jesus does for us. For us. So what Paul is saying is this. The law is, is our owner. It's, it's your task master. However, Jesus through his life paid its full price by giving his life for it. Thus freeing us from its demands. Paul says, don't go back to that. Why would you go back to that? And so he says, we're redeemed. Through Christ, we're redeemed from the penalty of the law and its demands. The second thing Paul brings up here, he says, through Christ, we're forgiven. What he's saying is our debt is paid. And so because Jesus took on the wrath of God on the cross, he took the penalty of our sin for you and I upon himself. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay ourselves. So we're redeemed from the curse of the law, from its demands. And then on top of it, we're forgiven. Now, here's the thing. Most of us get these two things. If you've been following Christ for any amount of time, most of us get, I'm redeemed. I understand what Jesus did from the cross. Uh, he paid for my sins. You can ask any first grader in Sunday school. They're going to they're gonna understand that. We understand that we're, we're forgiven and that our debt is paid. But here's the thing that we don't get. Here's where most Christians miss it, is they don't understand their sonship. So what Paul goes into, he goes, not only are you redeemed and forgiven, but Paul goes into this next thing where he actually says that we now become sons of God. So here's, here's the third thing, and this is what we're going to kind of camp out in for just a little bit. Here's the third thing. Through Christ, he procures for us full rights as God's children. That, that's the key thing. Through, he, this point, if you get this point, this will take away your insecurity and your relationship with, 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 with God. This will help you to walk a walk that says, I don't really care what people think about me. I'm here to please God. This will take away your people-pleasing desire to try to please everybody. This will take away any pretension. This will take away your need to, to kind of, I'm better than I really am doing. This will take away your need to say, oh, everything's great. Praise the Lord. Everything's fine. I'm blessed. Hashtag blessed. Right. When when you don't feel it. Right. This will take it away. This will make you take away all those things and say, you know what? I can become vulnerable because I'm not trying to please people. If they don't like what they see, then that's fine. But I'm trying to please the Lord. And I want to do what he wants me to do. So this will this will help you become vulnerable. So so through through Christ, he procures for us uh, the full rights as God's children. So what Paul is saying is we are adopted. We are adopted to sonship. And so what Paul is actually using here is actually a, a legal term. And so here's what I want you to understand. Let's dig into this point because this is, we may not understand what this means in our day and age. But for those readers, as, as they're reading this, uh, Paul's epistle, Paul's letter, they would understand what Paul means here. So, so let's understand the meaning of what Paul is trying to bring across. In the, in the Greco-Roman world, a wealthy man who had no children could actually take one of his servants and adopt him. 
And so this is what makes the word sonship so powerful because people reading this would say, wow, I understand what Paul is saying here. See, I want you to understand something. At the moment, at the moment of adoption, that person now actually ceased to be a slave and actually now receives all legal privileges and all financial privileges within that household. The whole identity changes from one of a slave to one of adopted children that gets all the same rights and privileges as a natural born child. This is what Paul is saying. The law can't cause you to become a child of God. Only Christ can do that. He adopts you into God's family and now you are a child of God. Actually, your whole identity now changes. I'm just getting started, okay? I'm just getting revved up here, okay? So, so he, here's what I, I want you to see. Here, here, here's what I want you to see. Prior to adoption, the slave was without a relationship to the father. Now he receives full legal status as a child of the father. So I want you to understand this. It's a new life and it's a new life with a new meaning. Everything has changed for this adopted son. Everything. Their whole life has now changed. What a powerful, powerful metaphor that we can see in this adoption of a son with our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want you to grasp the full meaning of this because I believe we can miss something here. We get the first part. We get the redemption. We get Jesus that purchased the price of our life and our sin took upon himself upon the cross. But here's the thing that, that we miss. What Paul is actually saying here and what we can miss is that we miss the transfer of the rights and privileges that we now have as children of God. We can miss the rights and privileges we have as God's children. And so what what Paul does, he makes it, listen, he makes it very personal. And this is how he makes it personal. So let me go on the next one, because if you don't get this, I I hope you get this. Notice the steps that Paul's taking here. He says you're redeemed, you're forgiven, and our cerebral thinking, we can think, okay, I get that, I get that, I'm forgiven. But then we don't still live like children. Why aren't we living like children? Because we don't get this part. So then he says, okay, now you're adopted as God's son through Christ. Everything changes for you. But here's what I want you to see. If something doesn't change within your heart, something's missing. And this is where I think many Christians miss this. We talk about all the time. You need to have a personal relationship with. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I don't know. What does that mean? Well, it means you have to ask him into your heart. Okay, what does that mean? Here's what Paul means about having a personal relationship. Listen, it's not about me having a personal relationship with God. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. That's what changes. He he wants to know you personally. He wants to know know everything about you. He wants you to give your whole life to him. That's what it means. So what Paul does here, he takes this whole thing to another level. So I want you to understand this transfer of rights and privileges. And this is where we miss it. Get the forgiveness. 
Um, but then, but then this is what we think. We think, okay, now I'm a son, I'm adopted. But then we think we have to live a good life in order to keep God's favor. Now, now, should we live a good life? Yes. Should we live a holy life? Yes. But am I living that holy life in order to appease God and gain God's favor through my performance? No. That's not the And that's what we end up morphing back into because why? We're insecure. How many of you have ever felt that way? You felt, I woke up this morning, I read my Bible. I prayed a little bit and you kind of feel kind of good about yourself. Like, man, I read my Bible. I prayed. Did you, did you get that? God, make sure you get that on your calendar. Barden read his Bible and he prayed today. Right. And what is that? That's insecurity. We're trying to gain God's approval by saying, Hey, look at what I did. God, get me. Woo. God saying, why are you doing that? You're already my child. I see you. I got you. Don't perform for me. Don't perform for me. You're not going to have a right relationship with me if you're trying to perform for me. I like what Tim Keller says here. He says, not only did Christ remove the curse we deserve, but he also gives us the blessing he deserved. God's honor and reward are just as secure and guaranteed as our pardon. See, here's the picture I want you to get. Most of us know the story of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son. Got two sons. One son stays with the dad. One son says, hey, I want my inheritance. I want it now, which basically meant you didn't get the inheritance until your father passed away. And so basically he's saying, dad, I want my inheritance now. And basically you're wishing that he was dead. So he cuts off this relationship. The father gives the inheritance to the son. The son goes out and blows it, goes right to Las Vegas and blows it on everything, gambling, women, everything you can think of. And he just blows And now he has nothing. And he just says, you know what? I, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living with the pigs here. I'll just go back and I'll, I'll grovel to my father. I'll ask for his forgiveness. And I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll live with the servants. I'll live with the pigs. I don't care. I just want to come back to my dad. I blew it. And he realizes. So we understand the story here. He comes back. Jesus explains the story of the, the son coming back. And the son comes back and the father's waiting for him. He sees him. And so when he gets back, what does the father do? The father sits him down. And just points his finger in his face and says, I told you, you blew it, man. You lousy scoundrel. Get out of here. You think I'm going to do anything for you? Is that how the story goes? No. What does the father do? The father rejoices. My son has come home. What does the father do with his son? He puts his, his robe on. But you never, I bet you none of you ever caught this in the story. He puts, the father puts his robe on his son that he rightly earned. What does he do? He puts his ring on the son. It's his ring, not the son's. The son gets the robe of the father that he didn't deserve. And what does he do? He kills his fattened calf and has a huge barbecue. With pulled pork, well, maybe not pulled pork, that's Old Testament. So we'll, whatever, we'll, we'll just say, did. We'll say New Testament, did pulled pork barbecue, right? So he has this huge 
feast and party for his son. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Pastor, that makes absolutely no sense. What does the father do? The father forgives him. We get that. But not only that, he puts on his robe, places his ring on his finger, doesn't make him live with the pigs, and throws him a a feast. That's exactly what Jesus does with us. That's the picture of every single one of us. In Christ, God takes us back and then gives us the reward that he earned. Everybody say, wow. That's amazing to me. So what happens is, is our, our slate is now wiped clean. Okay, I, I want to finish up. I just plug in this illustration. Anybody have good handwriting that would like to come up and just write something for me? Because I have the worst handwriting. Anybody like to come up and just, with good handwriting? Come on. Somebody with good handwriting, just jump up. Teacher, somebody who's got, all right, all right, Tracy, thank you. Give Tracy a hand. All right, Tracy, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to, remember the day when, how many of you are old enough to remember this when you actually had to clean the erasers from the blackboard? Remember that? Right? Remember those days? Remember all the brown notes? Get, I'll do it for you. How many remember when you were bad and you had to write on the, on the blackboard? Right? I will not talk in class. Write 50 Right? I was up there all the time. Okay. So here's, here's, here's what I want Tracy to write for us. Here's, here's the mistake that, that we make. Um, I, 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 I want you to see, when we don't understand that we're children of God, we want to write out all our good deeds for the Lord, like on a, like on a chalkboard. So, so, so just, write, just write, Tracy, write, write, I don't. Just write, I don't. And then write, so here we are, we're saying, God, I don't. So we're writing all this stuff on, on, on the chalkboard for God. I don't lie. God, I, I don't lie. I've, I've been good. So I don't lie. And then say, God, I don't cheat. I try to be really good. God, I'm trying to be a good boy, good girl. Um, I, I don't cheat. Here's a big one. God, I don't cuss. Ooh. Right? Okay. So we write all this stuff on, on, on to, to try to remind. But I want you to know something. In your relationship with God, we don't write our good deeds on the chalkboard in order for God to love us and accept us. Tracy, I want you to erase this. This is what Christ does for us. And I want you to realize here's what Jesus does for us. What's written on our chalkboard is this. Just write Christ's righteousness. You do have good handwriting. Very nice. This is what God sees in us. It's Christ's righteousness. There you go. Good job, Tracy. Give give Tracy a hand. Thank you, Tracy. Here's what I want you to see. This, this, this is what God... Oh, just help your spelling, Tracy. Just right. Yes, yes, that's okay. Okay, that's good. It's okay, Tracy. You did a good job. By the way, I'm like the worst speller. So I love the new like computer programs. I just got this new computer program called Grammarly. It's my best friend now. It's just like, I love it. Thank you. Whoever created it, thank you. For me, to you, I appreciate it. See, here, here's what I want you to see. This 
is what God sees on our chalkboard. So I love, here's what Paul does. Here's the next step. And this is what I want to finish with. I love how Paul talks about the spirit of God now. He says, what happens now? Not only do you become adopted children, but what God does is he places his Holy Spirit within you that now something happens. He says, the spirit is not this mechanical without feeling or emotion. When the spirit of God is in you, you now realize I really am a child of God. And so what this spirit does is, as Paul says this, the spirit gives us the experience of being God's children where we actually cry out, Abba, Father. Or more personally, Ruth, what does it really mean? Not Abba, Abba, my father. I always hear Ruth say that. Because Ruth says it right. That's the correct. It's just not Abba, Father. It's actually the correct way to say it is Abba, my father. Now, now what does this mean? Because it's, it's actually, this is really interesting. Because what happens there, Paul is using the Aramaic word for father, which is Abba. Now, I want you to understand something here. When Jesus uses the word Abba, that's how he describes his, This is so good. This is just so good. And I hope you all get this because I'm excited right now. So I just hope you get this. Jesus in his relationship calls God his Abba Father. And now, now Paul says the spirit within us calls out Abba Father. Now, now this, this is a cry that's a deep personal experience. So when we call out as God's children, it's not something impersonal. It's one of nearness and confidence that my dad is near. That my dad is near. See, when my kids were young and they would call out daddy, hey, Abba, father, Abba, the, Abba, my father, right? They didn't say, father, I beseech thee, do you name me? Right? They called me dad. Hey, dad. You hear that enough? And, and then I started training my kids to just call out mom. No, I'm just teasing. No, I'm just, just teasing. I'm just, just teasing. Um, so they would call. So they, they knew that, that I would answer them. See, here's Abba is, is personal. My father. It's this overwhelming feeling that God loves me and my confidence is in God. My children assume I love them. They don't doubt my care for them. They know that I will hug them, that I'm going to be there for them. When they say, I love you, Dad, I'm going to say to them too, I love you. I, I, you know, can I just say one thing about my six-year-old daughter? She still holds my hand. I just love that. We go out. <laughs> Anyways, I hope she never grows out because I just, you know, that still makes me feel good as her father. But she knows she can do it. She knows that she can grab my hand. I'm not going to reject her because why? I'm Lily's dad and I love her. See, why did Paul use the term Abba, which is Aramaic, when writing to to a Greek-speaking church? Because using this term could run the risk of being too familiar with God. Here's the reason why. Because Jesus used it when he talked to his father. And Paul says that we should use it because in Christ, we now have this right relationship with God And we legally inherited the same rights as Jesus did. He's Abba, my father now. Not some God who's out there, 
not some impersonal God that I don't know. He says, when the spirit is in you, the spirit cries out, Abba, Father, that you are his, his. I don't know, if that doesn't make you secure in your relationship with Christ, I don't know what will. It's the spirit, not the law, that makes you secure in your relationship. It's the spirit, not all the good things you've done in your life that makes you secure. It's the spirit. It's the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, that same relationship that Jesus has with his father. In Christ, we call out, Abba, my father, and we can have confidence through Christ that God is my father. So here's the takeaway. The takeaway, am I living with insecurity before God or am I living like a child who is confident that God is my father? I, um, I, I, I saw this interesting documentary yesterday about a girl who was 18 who is trying to be the first professional girl golfer in Nepal. Not many golf courses in Nepal. And, she, and, and so what, what her story, background story real quick is this. Her parents work on the golf course and they make combined income about $1,000 a year. $1,000 a year working on the golf course for other people to play. They had a daughter and she... Um, uh, Pratima is her is her, her name. Pratina Sherpa is her name. It's an incredible story. And she and and her parents live in the maintenance shed between the third and fourth hole of this golf course. And so growing up, she was on the golf course and she wanted to learn, but they didn't have any money for golf clubs. So her dad goes up in a tree, cuts down a branch, and whittles out a golf club for her. Well, she got really good. I mean, really good, where she started winning all these trophies and everything else. And um she, she had this pressure to say, I want, I, want to get, I want to get my parents out of this poverty and golf is my ticket out. And uh, so she had this opportunity to go to this same golf club, the Royal Nepal Golf Club, and they invited 21 players and they're going to pick the top five and the top five can go pro status and that would change everything for her family. So she works and she tries and she plays this three-day tournament and she ends up coming in ninth place. And she said the second day, her mom said she cried the whole time. Because it's not just different about her. It wasn't that she was just a kid who has privilege in her life. The thing for her is this meant everything to get her parents out of poverty. And so she had all this pressure. So the third day she did a little bit better, but she still came in ninth. And at the end of the program, they show her and her dad walking together on the golf course, and this is what her dad says to her. I love this. He says, you know what? It doesn't matter how it works out. We tried our best. Include his daughter. We, we're with you. We're going to support you either way. He didn't condemn his daughter. He, was, he says, don't, don't worry about it. Don't fret over it. We did our best. I loved how he reassured his daughter of his care and love for her more than her making the top five and how much pressure it was on her. And the interesting thing is, after that tournament, they show her at the end of the program, they show her two hours later hitting golf balls at the driving range. She didn't let it get her down. I mean, just incredible, incredible, incredible story. See, I want you to realize... 
I know so many times we just feel like in our walk with God that we may let him down or we do all this stuff. We are going to disappoint God. We can come to him and find forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? But I want you to know that we have a good, good father who knows you, who loves you in spite of all your stuff. That's not going to change. I want you to be secure in your relationship with God. I want you to have a personal relationship with Jesus that's driven by that relationship, not by your performance. And so now my relationship with God is not this performance-driven thing where I have my list and my whiteboard, but it's like, okay, now my works are done in Christ and his righteousness. My good works are in Christ now, not in myself to try to gain God's acceptance. I'm already accepted. How many know good parents... Your kids may mess up, but it's never going to stop you from being their parent. You're still their parent. So yeah, you may mess up, but it's not going to stop God from loving you. He's a good father. Abba, my father. When's the last time that you got along with God and you just said, Abba, my father, you're so good to me. Thank you for Jesus. Let that drive your relationship with him. Lord Jesus, we just, we come before you. Lord, as we just bow our hearts and as we just finish the service by just expressing our gratitude to you of being a good father. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that just feels amiss with you in their relationship. Maybe they feel like their past and their mistakes are so great that they feel like they're trying to gain your approval by what they do. God, maybe it was from their upbringing, whatever the thing may be. God, I pray you'd break through that, all that stuff. And we would sense our relationship with you that you are a good, good father. That it's only through Christ that we can be redeemed and forgiven. And then we are sons. We are heirs of all the things that are given to Jesus. We now have that relationship with you that the spirit within us calls out, Abba, Father. So I just pray, God, that you would just Touch your children today. Anyone here that is estranged from you, Lord, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we just take this moment and we call upon you and I pray that you would just reassure every heart here as they call upon you, that you would reassure them in Jesus' name. We thank you and we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name.